you guys have already missed the show. In 1994, uh, I was at First Baptist Church Durant as youth pastor, and I was sitting on the third row, right about right over here, right behind where these guys are sitting right here. And, and pastor was finishing service, and he started to come down. He missed the bottom two steps and just fell right on his face right there. And being the middle school boy that I am, I started laughing. <laughs> and he got up, and he was all embarrassed and stuff, and I was still giggling. And, uh, and he said, Andy, you didn't help me or nothing. Those who missed it during, <laughs> during that welcome, I, I missed the bottom two steps and went right on my face right there. So those, for, those of you who don't believe it, what goes around comes around, all right? Just, <laughs> just, just so you know. Uh, so whatever you've been laughing at, it's coming for you, all right? <laughs> just need to know that. These guys down here asked me, are you all right? Are you hurt anything? I said, yeah, my pride. Uh, it's, it's hurting pretty bad right now. If you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, as we continue in this study of Mark, we're going to look at starting verse uh, 7. We're going to read down through, I'm going to read down through verse 32. This is another one of those Markin, what's called Markin sandwiches. It's a story where he starts one story, Mark does, and then in the middle of it there's another story, and then he concludes the first story. And the story that he begins is the story of uh, the, the disciples, the apostles, being sent out by Jesus to do ministry. And as he sends them out to do ministry, it's, you, you kind of get, everything's kind of on this high note, and then all of a sudden, he goes right into this story, this tragic tale of the, and the, more detail than we get anywhere, of the death of John the Baptist. And he talks about the death of John the Baptist. And then he goes, returns to his story of the disciples returning from their trip, and they're uh, telling everyone about, they're sharing with one another what happened on their trips, and, and Jesus calls them away to a place for some rest. That, that's what we're going to see. And so we, we see that today in this. And so we, it's kind of an interesting thing of like, why in the middle of this kind of glorious story of their, their first outing in ministry do we get this backdrop of death? So we're going to kind of deal with that today as we read and as we study. Starting in verse 7, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house... Stay there until you leave town, and any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And King Herod heard of it, and his name had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And they were saying he was a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. And could not do so, for Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. 
but he used to enjoy listening to him. A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while, for there will be many people coming and going. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not have time to eat. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. Let's pray. Lord, in these moments that we have together, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts and our lives to examine the cost of following you? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If not for a North Korean government training video, we would not know anything about Cha Duk-soon's life. Produced to train security agents how to identify and silence those who promote religion inside North Korea, the film denigrates anyone who practices religion. Incredibly, the propaganda film gives many details about the life of Cha Duk-soon. It states that during North Korea's great famine in the mid-1990s, when an estimated 2.5 million people were, died, Duk-soon was a strong revolutionary whose faith in the government had wavered. After visiting a woman in the Northwest to ask for help, she illegally crossed the border into China to, in search of her uncle. But instead of finding her uncle, uh, who had died, Doc Soon found the Seal Tap Church, where she heard the gospel for the first time. The video says she became a fanatical believer, who was inspired to return to North Korea and form an underground network of Christians inside the country. When she returned to North Korea, Doc Soon apparently turned herself into authorities for crossing the border border illegally. The video says the authorities were lenient and released her, but instead of praising the government, she praised the Lord. And because of her poverty, the government did not restrict her movement within the country, so she traveled freely between towns in North Korea to earn money for herself. And as she traveled, she shared the gospel and gave money to the poor and those in suffering. In addition, she suffered. She discovered the descendants of several prominent Christians who gathered every Sunday to worship, pray, sing hymns, and study God's word. Though she was faithful, compassionate, and generous, the video describes her as a spy seeking to recruit other spies, a description of evangelists commonly, commonly used in North Korea propaganda. And eventually, to the, uh, according to the video, a good and awakened North Korean citizen reported her to authorities. Cha Duk-soon was taken captive by the North Korean government and never seen again. It is uncertain how she died. But because of a propaganda film, we know how she lived. And it is a reminder for all of us 
that wherever God sends us, we must go. And whatever it costs us, it's worth it. Today's passage in the Gospel of Mark, we find Jesus calling his disciples together. And then spent sending them out in pairs to do as he instructs. And as a backdrop of that, we, these ministry efforts, we get this detailed account by Mark of the, of the death of John the Baptist. And it's if in the telling of this story uh, of the disciples going out, of the apostles going to do ministry, we, we get the, the major chords of an anthem. And, and, we, and we feel that, that all of a sudden turn into these minor chords of a dirge. It's an interesting scene to say the least. Why would Mark sandwich this tale of martyrdom in the middle of this, episodes of the, this episode of the apostles' ministry? Because the, the call to action for a disciple of Jesus should always be juxtaposed with the cost associated with it. It should always be contrasted with the cost associated with it. Jesus isn't calling us into, an, into action in a world that loves him, but one that hates him and is constantly seeking its own way. Listen, there is no other adventure as exciting as following Jesus, but the Lord wants those who follow him to know this. The price for taking this ride is everything. That is why he says, Jesus speaks these words, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So let's look at what it, we find to be true for the disciples in being sent out by Jesus. First, I think we find that their means was reliance. That is, the means by which they would get by is totally relying upon God. Their means was reliance. Jesus sent them out with these instructions. Take nothing with you. This is, this is, an Andy, this is a Harrison translation. Take nothing with you but a stick. You're going to go out, put on one tunic, you're going to put on your sandals, and you're going to take a stick with you, a walking stick. Okay? That's all he does. Uh, last Christmas... Uh, my son got for me uh, season tickets to the Razorback games. Now, I don't know if that was a gift or it was, if, if it was payback for some perceived mistreatment that he had when he was younger. At this point in the season, I'm not sure which one that was. Um, but a month ago, Kim and I went to a game, and because it was a, a late game, or excuse me, an early game in the morning, we didn't want to travel so far early and get up so early in the morning, so we went to Van Buren, Arkansas, and stayed overnight one night before that football game. Here's what we took on our one-night stay. We took a small ice chest, two carry-on size suitcases, a backpack, a computer case, a purse, a pillow, several books, and a blanket. <laughs> one night. All right? I'm just going to stop there or I will be in so much trouble. All right. But these guys left for an unspecified amount of time. And all each one took was the clothes on their back, the sandals on their feet, and a walking stick. Jesus said they were not to take bread, don't take a bag, don't take money. And just in case they plan to take extra clothes but technically still obey the rules. That is, you know, there's always one of those disciples that was going on. Hey, he said just to close on her back, so I'm going to put on an extra tunic so at least I'll have a change for later. He said, put, do not put on two tunics. He knew that somebody was in there was going to try that. 
When Jesus sends them out, he wants to teach them to rely completely on God for all they need. In doing so, they learn that they can trust in him. Now, in doing so, they learn this, that God goes before them and prompts people to meet their physical needs. Can I tell you something? God goes before you and meets your needs if you'll rely on him. He does that. Do you recall the story of the colt Jesus rides into Jerusalem during his triumphant entry? Now, we were talking about this this morning in Sunday school. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But Mark, in Mark 11, 1 through 6, as they approached, so this will be later in the study in Mark, as they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door. And outside the street, they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, uh, what are you doing? Untying that colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus told them, and they gave them permission. And, you know, right before the, the Lord's Supper in the upper room, right before that last supper, Jesus sends his disciples in and said, I want you to go into town. And because they're like, we're, the disciples are like, where are we going to have this dinner? Go into town. You're going to find a, a guy carrying a water pot. He's going to meet you there, and you follow him, and, and he'll take you to an upper room, and that's where we're going to have things. Now, you have, we discussed that in Sunday school. It was like, well, these guys had great faith, you know, to trust that this, they were going to meet someone and, for the colt, and this guy with the water pot, and all these things. But you know what? They had already learned back in this episode when Jesus sent them out to teach carrying nothing that if they relied on him they'd have everything they needed disciples were quick to do as Jesus asked because they had learned that they could rely on him to meet their every need so when he sends them out this way he's teaching them that they can rely on God he's also teaching them that that God will supernaturally empower his servants they went out and they began to heal people of sicknesses. They were anointing people to the oil and they were healing their sicknesses. They were casting out demons. Now, I don't know if any of them had any experience of that up to that point, but when they go out and start doing that and they're on their own just paired together and Jesus isn't nearby, they got to be like just amazed at what's going on. And they would see many convert to faith in Christ as they go out and they would share. They would go out into a village and someone would actually take them in and keep them in their home. They're, they're seeing these things. And listen, they would see people healed and these demons cast out and people come to Christ. Why? They would see this accomplished because of what the scripture says in verse 7. You see it? It says, he gave them authority. God, when he calls you to do something, do you think you're going on your own? You're not going on your own. He gives you authority, supernaturally empowers uh, you to do what he's called you to do. And everything the apostles accomplished was because Jesus empowered them to do so. Now, don't miss this, okay? When you relinquish control of your life and choose to completely rely on God, you're not taking some outlandishly blind chance that could result in failure. You're making the one and only decision that results in meaningful life. That's what you're doing. And, and that's what we learn about these disciples here, is, is that their means was reliance. Well, we also see 
that their metric was receptivity. That is, the standard by which things were going to be judged, the metric, what they're looking at is, uh, who's going to receive us? How are they received by people? The disciples were told to stay with those who opened their doors to them and shake off the dust of the soles of their feet as a testimony to any who would not receive them. Now that may sound harsh. We're going to get to that in a second, though. But Jesus is teaching them a few things here. One, he's teaching them that it's important to focus on those who are receptive to the gospel. Some of us will work ourselves silly and into manic levels of depression and frustration trying to see someone who we want to believe and become a Christian, yet they have proven over and over again that they do not want the gospel. Jesus tells his disciples to focus on those whose hearts are tender and receptive and move on from the rest. Now, that, I'm going to tell you right now, there should be people some squirming in their seats right now because it makes me, too, go, feel uncomfortable because it's like, you don't ever give up on anybody. He's not saying that because he's not saying to give up on people. What he is saying is that the gospel is never received by force, and we need to quit force-feeding worms to dead fish. I didn't, Bible doesn't say that. I said that, all right? <laughs> but that's what we, listen, he, he's saying we need to focus on those who are receptive to the gospel. And two, he's teaching them that it's not only important to focus on those who are receptive to the gospel, but it's important and essential that we feed those who are receptive to the gospel. He said when you get there, you stay there until you leave town. They weren't just making converts. They were called to make what? Disciples. Right? They're called to make disciples. The more time they spent with those in the given town, the deeper they would grow the roots of those believers. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says, And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul says this in this writing of these two verses. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. They spent time in that, and they didn't just go in a house and stay there one night and move on. They stayed until they left that town, and they began to pour themselves into the people in that place. And so they didn't just focus on something. They, they, they fed them as well. The reason that uh, we see so many people produce so many warped ideas about the gospel and about who Jesus is, and about what Christians should or should not embrace, is that the church is focused on getting people saved, but we haven't been faithful to feed those who have been converted. There's a lot of people who, got, who, who, who came to Christ and know Him in, in the sense of they've been saved and never grew at all, and they will accept any idea about Jesus. Three, this teaches us, the, the, this metric of receptivity, it teaches us, uh, and Jesus is teaching his disciples, the value of the message that they are sharing. The message of the gospel is life, and it is no small thing to dismiss it. I want you to hear that again. The message of the gospel is life, and it's no small thing to just turn your head and dismiss it. The gospel is ultimately the only thing in life that matters. There is great reward in receiving it, and there is great peril in rejecting it. Matthew Henry says this in regard to this passage of shaking the dust off the soles of your feet. Listen, I love the way he puts this. 
He pronounces a very heavy doom upon those that reject the gospel they preached. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, you're to go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them. He's saying, let them know that they've had a fair offer of life and happiness made to them. Witness that dust. But that, since they have refused it, they cannot expect ever to have another. Let them take up with their own dust, for so shall their doom be. That dust, like the dust of Egypt, shall become a plague for them, he writes. When he's talking about that, what he's talking about is that plague of boils that, that uh, came upon Egypt during the time, you know, when Moses is going into Pharaoh, let my people go, and he wouldn't do it, and the plagues kept coming. And in Exodus 9, 8 and 9, we see, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust over the land of Egypt, and it will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast through all the land of Egypt. You know, I, I can tell you this, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about where COVID came from. It's in a lab in China, all right? But I don't know if that's a conspiracy. I think that's probably the fact. I can tell you this, people in Egypt knew where the bullets came from. Moses and Aaron out there throwing soot in the air, and they're like, stop that. And, and Matthew Henry here is saying, the dust that they're shaking off their feet that these people rejected will become for them just like that plague in Egypt. And he, said, he goes on to say, And their condemnation in the great day will be more intolerable than that of Sodom. For the angels, the angels came to Sodom and were abused there. Let me stop this quote in the middle and say this. Remember, the, the angels came to Sodom on behalf of Lot, basically. And, and uh, when they got there, they were invited in, and all the people of the town came looking for them. They were, they were going to take them and abuse them. And he says, and the angels were sent to Sodom and were abused there, yet that would not bring on so great a guilt and so great a ruin as the contempt and abuse of the apostles of Christ, who bring with them the offers of gospel grace. It is no small thing to dismiss the gospel of grace, the message of repentance and turning to God. And that was their message. For their metric was not just receptivity, their message was repentance. One commentator said this, They preached that men should repent, that they should change their minds and reform their lives in consideration of the near approach of the kingdom of the Messiah. The great design of the gospel preachers and the great tendency of gospel preaching should be to bring people to repentance, to a new heart and to a new way. The apostles did not amuse people with curious speculations or with flattering affirmations or with promises of success and wealth. But the apostles told them that they must repent of their sins and turn to God. That was their message. Can, I, can you hear something from this morning? You're looking this way, look. If you don't know Jesus, you need to repent of your sins and turn to him. He is ready to forgive you and save you. In the book of Acts, when Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he began preaching on Pentecost, uh, the day of Pentecost, he, he brought the fire, all right? And he preached Jesus as the Messiah and the listeners as the crucifiers. If you remember that sermon, he's going on. Jesus came and he's talking about Jesus glowingly. And he says, and by the way, you're the ones who took him and nailed him to a cross and crucified him. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not going, listen, that's not going to win friends and influence people. You know what I'm saying? When you start telling them, by the way, you killed him. But he's preaching it, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, he's preaching this message. And he called the people to repent of their sins and be forgiven so that times of refreshing could come from the Lord. And the result of what he preached, when he preached the gospel message of Jesus and repentance, here's what happened from Acts 2, 37 through 41. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And Peter and, uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified. And kept on exhorting them saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day we were added about 3,000 souls. Why was there so many people that were moved and, 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 and believed at that moment? It's because Jesus has put on the message of the gospel the power of God. And when we share that we are to repent of our sins and turn to Christ, people are saved. When we preach something else, some other thing, and we avoid ever talking about sin, we ever talk about you know, the things that we, we should not give our lives to, and when we say, oh, we're all going to be fine, and Jesus is just going to make your life a little better, let me tell you something, that, that didn't change in anybody. What changes us is to know who we are and what we've done and realize it and turn to God and let him forgive us and make us new. Their message was repentance. We get to this point where we hear that their message is repentance and, and they go out and they begin healing and, and uh, casting out demons. And then we get this story of John the Baptist. And it teaches us this, that their metal was required. Now when I say metal, I'm not talking about the construction type of uh, material. Not M-E-T-A-L. And I'm not talking about something you receive at the Olympics. And M-E-D-A-L. I'm talking about M-E-T-T-L-E. Metal. Their metal was required. Metal is a person's ability to cope well with difficulties or to face a demanding situation in a spirited and resilient way. You know, you've heard that, testing their metal. Right in the middle of this story about the disciples traveling, preaching, and healing, Mark places the somber and chilling story of John the Baptist's death. Why? Because Mark is saying to each reader of his gospel, as disciples of Jesus, we preach a message that is repudiated by the world and adhere to a morality scorned by the masses, and any who would choose to follow Christ and preach in his name will not be exalted, but rather despised, mistreated, ridiculed, and rejected. The fate of John the Baptist would be the cup that Jesus uh, that Jesus asked James and John if they were willing to drink. Remember, James and John said, can we, give us in, the, in your kingdom when we come in there, we can sit on your right and your left. And he says, are you willing to drink the cup that I drink? And they said, yes, that's the cup he's talking about. Jesus is going to lay down his life. And each disciple, every disciple, except for Judas Iscariot and John, would die a martyr's death for preaching the name of Jesus. Each one of them would drink that cup. There is much to learn about the details that Mark gives us in the story of John the Baptist's death. And that's for another sermon, okay? And you can be glad for that. But I will share one. 
One thing we need to pull out of here today. What are the hills of your faith that you're willing to die on? Now look, don't miss this. What are the hills that you're willing to die on? Notice this. Herodias is not called Herod's wife, but called the wife of his brother, Philip. He married her, but it was an illegitimate marriage because she should have remained the wife of his brother, Philip. He literally seduced and stole her from his brother. She is not then designated as his wife, though they were married. She is legitimately still the wife of his brother, Philip. Scripture, in that sense, doesn't recognize her marriage to Herod because of its evil nature. Herodias hated John the Baptist because he had earned a certain level of respect with Herod, who considered him a holy man. And John continued to candidly point out that it wasn't lawful for Herod to have his brother's wife. So Herodias hated him. And she got the opportunity to get his head on a platter, and she got it. And can I tell you something? John the Baptist literally died defending the sanctity of marriage. His mettle was tested, and John determined not to move, and it cost him his life. Again, I ask you, what are the hills on which you would die? Have you can... Considered your faith to be worth dying for? Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, you know who she is? She was the wife. Jim Elliot, the one who uh, was martyred by the Aka Indians in the 50s. Elizabeth Elliot went on to write many great things. She went back and ministered to the Aka Indians even and continued to do so even after they murdered her husband. She said this, There is nothing worth living for unless it's worth dying for. Have you considered... What hills you'll die on. Can I tell you there's a day coming when your metal will be tested. Finally, we get this. Their mandate was rest. As they gathered together again after some long days on the road, they enjoyed time of debri- this time of debriefing and fellowship. But the crowds started to gather with people coming and going. So Jesus mandates the following. Come away. By yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. And the final scene of this passage has us watch the disciples crawl into a boat and sail off to a lonely place. Now, it kind of feels here as if the disciples of John had come and reported to Jesus the death of John about the same time that Jesus' disciples came back reporting the results of their ministry efforts. You kind of get that sense. You can imagine... That in the midst of all, you know how it is, you, it's almost like you can play this scene if it, if it occurred this way. They're just talking about all the stuff that had happened and everything glorious that was going on. And man, this person got healed and you can't believe what I saw here. And this, this demon and this one person was doing this and we cast it out. And, you know, you, you can imagine them sharing their stories. And then Jesus says, I need to tell you something. John's dead. You can imagine at the report of John's death, some of the disciples would have been overtly grieved. They, they had been followers of John, and now we're following Jesus. Others might have, gone, uh, might have been terrified as they contemplated what lay ahead of them. Like, is that, is that what's going to happen to us? By the way, yeah, it was. And others might have just gone blank, 
drained of their last emotional resource after a grueling season of ministry. Like, what? We came in here celebrating what had happened and we hear this. Either way, here's what Jesus does. He compassionately assigns for them rest. Can I tell you something? The Lord is mindful of our frailties. He knows who we are. Psalm 103:14. For he himself knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. Jesus knows these four things. Listen, he knows our bodies need rest. He knows our minds need clearing. Yeah, you ever have your parents when you, they got upset with you and they they laid down the decree? And they said, now you just go somewhere and think about that. Jesus here in a more compassionate way is saying you need time to rest and to think about that. He knows our spirits need settling when they're disturbed. And he knows our hearts need refreshing. And that's not done among the crowds. But in the lonely, the secluded places. That's where we draw into the very presence of God. And that's where we're able to say with the psalmist from Psalm 73, listen. You will keep on guiding me all my life with your wisdom and counsel. And afterwards receive me into the glories of heaven. Who is there in heaven but you? And I desire no one on earth as much as you. My health fails, my spirit droops, yet you, you remain. You're the strength of my heart. You are mine forever. Oh God, your nearness is my good. You are my refuge, and I will tell everyone of your mighty works. This ragtag band of disciples that Jesus sent out, spent time with, matured, poured into, they found Jesus worthy of everything in their lives. John the Baptist found following the Lord worthy of everything in his life. Cha Duksun found Christ worthy of everything in her life. Here's my question. Do you? Do you find Christ worthy of that? Let's pray. Lord, I pray today, as we have this time of decision, that those who are here today who might not know Christ or have never made a decision, maybe some have been coming a while, but they just have never decided to follow Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. They would say, I need to repent of my sins, and I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus. And I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe he rose from the grave to give me the hope and promise of eternal life. And today I'm giving my life to him. I pray that that would happen. Lord, for the rest of us in this room who may be believers, help us to contemplate the hills that we should die on. And do we have a faith that we would die for? If not, Lord, ask, I pray that we would repent of that and that we would give our all to you every day as you've called us to do from the beginning. Lord, this time is now yours. We give it into your hand and we pray for your will to be done. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand to your feet right now?